Hey guys, it's Ben Mitten, and I'm here with Casey Finn, and uh, we're doing a, a changing gears in our podcast this week, Casey, to something completely new. I know, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be good. I think uh, one thing I want to do before I start is talk well, you, about you've, this. You've reached a landmark, haven't you? <laughs> I have, yeah. So I just finished uh, Michael Heiser's Unseen Realm. And uh, and so, for those who don't know, um, Michael Heiser is a uh, one of the greatest a, Old Testament scholars uh, who has ever walked the planet. Well, definitely today, he's he's definitely well known. Uh, yeah. He is the scholar in residence at Faith Life, and so not yeah. anymore. He actually just no way. Yeah, I heard he just quit, and he he's going to a school. And is going to be teaching there. Kind of an interesting thing. I just found that out last that week. That is very interesting. But so, he has been at Logos for a number right. of years. And that's what I was going to say. So, like, a lot of people who may not appear in Faith Life, you've probably heard of Logos Bible Software. Um, and that was just a, a really cool, like, when I think in my head, like, what is a job that would be just so, you yeah. know, it would be, that would be it, to work it? at Logos. Because you think about like all the resources you would have available to you, like uh, probably free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be. That would be a pretty fantastic job. And so... So what did you think about the book? I thought it was good. So just before I start, I'd heard so much about this book. You know, a lot of people uh, around me had, like, I mean, you know, Thomas and, yeah. and you both had read Unseen Realm and really looked at Michael Hauser as like a, a big part of, I guess, understanding the Old Testament worldview. And that's really what this book is about. Yeah. So that's just in case you, you don't know, the, the subtitle for The Unseen Realm is Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible. And I think one of the biggest benefits of this book is exactly that. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of us, myself included, whenever we read the scripture, um, it's easy to read scripture through the lens of your current uh, cultural thinking. And Unseen Round attempts to break you of that habit into getting you to read scripture with a, the same worldview that the ancient Jewish people would have. And, uh, and a, a tool for doing that, and really the, one of the main gist of the book is to help our understanding in how the ancient Jewish people uh, thought about themselves and thought about other nations. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and without going too deep in the book, uh, because I could say some things here that would really throw some people off. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, just know that um, our understanding of geography was different from a Jewish vantage point. And so the way they understood geography uh, was that there was no real separation between the heavenly and the earthly. And so for them, this was one world, and the the heavenly, or uh, what we may refer to as angels or demons, um, had a very uh, real role to play and right. how people live their lives. And so uh, I just, I'll leave you with that cliffhanger. So my, my thoughts on the book are that it's good, it's needed, um, and if if you're not used to reading um, uh, academic works or 
thorough works, this will be a bit of a task for you. It's, it may look uh, like it's no big deal, but the book itself, I think, is, uh, without reading the epilogue, you're looking at about 384 pages uh, with extensive footnotes uh, that he just yeah. he was very thorough. Well, so, and I, I no, I haven't read Supernatural. I told you okay. about Supernatural. Yeah, it's yeah. basically a shorter, easier to digest version mm-hmm. of Unseen Realm. Mm-hmm. So if somebody was interested in what exactly is it, I'm hearing Michael Heiser's name thrown around. Yeah. What exactly was he is he talking about? Yeah, um, Supernatural would probably be good. Or there are a number of videos on YouTube where he covers the the broad ideas yeah. in an unseen realm in an hour or a few hours you know yeah yeah and that might be a really good place to go for somebody who just wants something short and free and right. uh, get to hear it uh, then that that's good for you too so uh, so what are we going to start doing we're going to start uh, talking about arguments for the existence of God and for the truthfulness of Christianity. Uh, and this is going to be really fun. I think that a lot of people out there, uh, and this is just from from me, I want to give you a word of encouragement. I think a lot of people out there really have a, a lack of self-confidence when it right. comes to these types of things. Yeah. Like as soon as you bring it up, they turn off. Yeah. Because it sounds hard. They don't really believe in themselves. Um, and they don't think that they could really hold their own in a conversation with someone who disagrees with them about spiritual things. And they've probably been taught that, well, if you disagree over spiritual matters, you can't really know who's right. Right. And so might as well just cross your hands and pray for them and go on. Right, right. And what I think is that uh, that is not the picture uh, or the model that we're really given in in the New Testament uh, or the, the whole yeah. scripture. Uh, but if we look at just just Paul by himself, uh, you'll notice that he doesn't just back down. He will stand and he will uh, give a defense for the Christian faith and even give arguments for the Christian faith. And so that's, I think, uh, we as believers, um, those who, who think, you know, uh, I have been talking to this person for a long time. I've never got anywhere, and I just don't know what to say, but I want to talk to them. Then this is the podcast that you need to be listening to. Uh, We're going to give you something to think about, and uh, we're going to start with what's called the moral argument for the existence of God. Is there a reason that we're starting with the moral argument for the existence of God? I think that for me, and um, I've heard... um, William Lane Craig say this, and I agree with him, that the moral argument is the most persuasive argument, not because it is necessarily stronger right. in its uh, truth claims, yeah. um, but because every day whenever we wake up, we make moral decisions. And we make a judgment multiple times throughout the day of whether or not we affirm that there are moral facts, if you will, right. about about reality, and so um, in that sense, everyone is a quote unquote specialist uh, or experienced person in making mm-hmm. moral judgments, right. and uh, and so whenever you talk to someone about morality, uh, they they will first they will give you an ear, and and second, 
when you talk about morality, it doesn't just engage the intellect, but it engages the heart. Definitely. And, uh, and that's something that is just unique about the moral argument that makes it the most powerful, I think, in, in my point of view. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that so many of the others rely on, you know, well, and I, I'm especially thinking of things like the teleological argument or mm-hmm. um, even the cosmological. They rely on, on scientific facts mm-hmm. that don't really touch where I am. Yes. Right? I mean, yes. I don't sit around thinking about how mm-hmm. much dust there is on the moon right. on a regular <laughs> basis. Only in the shower. <laughs> yeah. So, so when somebody brings up something about that or about you know any of these other teleological or anthrop- um, anthropic principle kind of things, you know, it's, it's, it sounds cool, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and everything, but at the end of the day, it doesn't touch the heart. I think that's the power of the moral argument is mm-hmm. it engages both heart and mind yes. in a way that none of the other arguments do. Yeah. But I also think that this is this is one of because of that, yeah. this is one of the areas where um, a, a belief or an unbelief in God yeah. is also um, easier to make. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think more people yeah. become atheists because yeah. of moral arguments yes. than pr- yeah. all of the scientific arguments yeah. combined. Yeah, this is a very sharp, short, sharp sword that can cut both ways. Yes, and uh, and so w- one thing is that we need to know how to defend against it. Right. And the other thing is that if there's one that you want to wield and wield well, yeah, this is one definitely. You know, uh, and so I, I I think that it's. It's well, really powerful. I think part of the power in it too is, mm-hmm. you know, what you said is is exactly right. And it's almost like if you learn how to defend mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. you can parry it and you can take their attack on God with the moral argument and turn it around back on them. Absolutely. And that's <laughs> one of the that's one of the coolest things. That this is the almost the only argument that you can do that with. Yeah. Like it's it's just uh it's so versatile and it's so easily deployed in a, a number of conversations. Just the, but for me, I've used this argument probably more than any other one yeah. because it's so easy to, to just bring out of your pocket. Um, well, uh, there is one one thing to note, and uh, and for those who are listening that have read Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. it's C.S. Lewis's. Uh, one of his most famous uh, books, one of his most famous apologetics for the Christian faith, Mere Christianity. This is the argument that he employs there uh, before he gets to uh, liar, lunatic, or Lord for right. for Jesus, and uh, and he does it so well in his own his own style. And so, let me lay out real quickly what this argument is. Um, and so, this argument is a deductive syllogism which basically means that unlike an inductive or abductive, a deductive argument is made in which if the reasons given for the conclusion are true and the conclusion follows from the reasons given necessarily and inescapably, which means that if someone agrees with the reasons given for this argument, they must concede the conclusion. And even if they have other arguments that make one doubt this conclusion, it's irrelevant. And so that's what makes it, this argument so powerful again is that it's not just like, well, I guess it's probable. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the nail in the coffin. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't leave any, any wiggle room. 
In the moral argument, we have two reasons that lead us to the conclusion that God exists. The first reason is, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Now, I know some people are almost tuning me out already because I used I used these weird uh, this weird way of saying something right um, and I use two terms that are probably a little vague well and one of the things I don't know about for you and other people but for me and I, it may just be the way my brain works mm-hmm. but when when you start introducing negatives into sentences for me it makes it hard to understand unless I can see it let me let me do it just as it's given to me though, and we'll stick with the negatives. And so, for one, if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Premise two: objective moral values and duties do exist. And so that's that's the second one. And then from that, the conclusion follows. Therefore, God exists. And so it's very simple. Simple as that. It's very simple. <laughs> just a little two step near that. <laughs> and uh, and. And so some people think, are you ever going to give this to someone? Have you ever given this to someone? Uh, answer is yes, I have. have I have, yes. So walk uh, us through. How, what did that look like? <laughs> I, want, I want to hear this. Well, I went to an, a conference. This has been about um, five years ago. Uh, it was in Hickory, North Carolina. Okay. I went to a, a an atheist conference uh and it was supposedly it was the biggest one on this coast uh, the year prior. Okay. And so I thought, oh, this is where I need to go. I need to hear the arguments and everything that they're given so that I can uh, be prepared. And, you know, uh, a piece of you uh, sort of wonders to yourself, well, you know, I wish they would give us a fair hearing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, if I am I giving them a fair hearing? Right, absolutely. You know, and so what better place to yeah. to go and get a fair hearing? And so I went, and uh, I it was it was lunchtime, so we listened to a few lectures uh, from uh, atheists, and then uh, it was lunchtime, and I knew I needed to get near this this set of couches in front of a in front of a television that that seen you know I think. It, Either people were already sitting there or there was no one there yet. But either way, I went and I sat down in one of the chairs, and then there was three other people that were sitting uh, near me. And I knew that I needed to engage engage them quickly before they tune in to the TV. Right. right. And it's gone, my my, uh, opportunity window. And so I did. I started asking them questions about how, you know, just making small talk at first. And then I asked them, all, all three of them, how they became an atheist. Okay. And they gave me their answers, and I wish I could remember what their answers were. Uh, I know where I can. I, I recorded it. Oh, uh, oh, did you? Yeah, not the conversation. I recorded my uh, retelling of the conversation uh, okay. so okay. that I wouldn't forget. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. Yeah, and so, uh, but a after little, <laughs> a little, little recorder in your backpack, yeah, you set it right next yeah. to him. And... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be funny. Uh, um, you know, I, so I um, I heard their reasons, and then they turned to me and asked me, so what about you? And I said, well, I'm actually a Christian. And uh, What was their I, response? How it did was they... sort of shock. Okay. You know, it wasn't just like, oh, they're like, well, what are you doing here sort of thing. It's, right. Of course. And I said, well, you know, and I, I forget what I said off the hand, but I remember saying, have you guys ever heard the moral argument for the existence of God? 
And they said, no. And I said, well, would you like to? And they agreed. And so I just cash it out for them. Yeah. And of course, your, your, your normal responses that you sort of expect to hear came out and they were just left flat-footed. Yeah. Uh, they had nothing to say. And one guy, I remember, I won't forget, he was so frustrated. <laughs> he said, you know, I know that it's, and he used a, a you know, a foul language, but I don't know why. <laughs> and uh, and I just remember leaving that conversation, and uh, I, I knew it wasn't going to be like, you know, a revival breaking right, right. out in this <laughs> conference, you know. But, oh, but I remember leaving that conversation like, oh, man, yeah. if you ever want to get... Uh, sort of filled with a, a a good burn. You felt like Thor I in did, the Avengers. I did. You're yeah. still worthy. Yes, I'm still worthy. <laughs> and like you know, if you had seen Avengers Infinity War where he comes down out yeah, of the sky, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The, the Rainbow Bridge. That's what it felt like. Uh, and so. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so it so has you experienced happened. firsthand the power of this argument. Absolutely, and not only that, but as I said, it's easy to cash out, and we'll get to that. I think you brought it up a little bit earlier uh, before we started about uh, how this can be used as maybe like a jujitsu move where yeah. you're taking the force and putting it against the opponent. That's the most um, that way of doing things is just the easiest way to employ this argument. It yeah. really is. And so it's exactly what Lewis does. And, yeah. uh, and so, um, and exactly what led to his conversion, if I'm not wrong. Oh, really? Uh, because he said, how could I tell what a, a crooked line is unless I know what a straight line looks like? And so he, he thought there was injustice in the world, and then he's like, wait a minute. You know, how can something be... Un- be unjust unless there is a sense of, of truly what it means to be just. Right. And so for him, he sort of did it to himself, I guess you could say. But um, so in the first premise, uh, just so you know, let's let's talk about this first premise just very briefly before we have to close up for today. But uh, premise one again is if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist. Um, I need to define this word objective. By objective, what we mean is that a moral claim is true whether or not anyone agrees with it. Right. And so just in the same way that, and I like to use mathematical truths as examples, just in the same way that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true, regardless of whether anyone agrees with that conclusion or not, right. it's true. Right. Um, in another way, you could say that uh, I like using logical proofs. It's true that there are no such thing as married bachelors, whether anyone agrees with that or not. And so, um, and this is important because a lot of people today want to argue that morals. There is such a thing as morality, mm-hmm. but it's all sociologically constructed. So, yes. like, we have certain moral duties and, mm-hmm. you know, things that are, are forbidden in our culture, mm-hmm. but other cultures it's different. And that's okay because morality is purely a social construct. Yes, that is that is a good point. And so that's what a lot of people will argue. I think that whenever we come to... Um, premise two, which really dives into that objective more values and duties do exist, right. that we'll, we'll definitely run into that sort of response and have to deal with it. Um, 
the second thing I need to define is values and duties. So value, moral value deals with something's worth. In other words, are human beings valuable? That's the question that needs to be asked. Uh, are they objectively valuable? Or are human beings, or anything really, valued only because uh, we think such and such about right. it? You know? um, and so someone thinks that uh, their brother, sister, or mother is valuable if they have intrinsic worth, and they think that they would still say so even if someone disagreed with them. Right, right, right. Welcome to objective moral values. Yeah. Uh, and so another thing is duties. Duties are obligations and prohibitions. And so if you think that someone is uh, prohibited uh, from doing a certain act, regardless of whether someone else thinks it's okay, then that's an objective uh, duty. But what premise one says is that in the absence of the existence of God, there are no such thing as true objective value. So no one is worthy has any value. Nothing has any value. And there are no true objective obligations or prohibitions on anyone for anything. And, uh, and so that's what premise one claims. That, in other words, if, if atheism is true, then there, there is no, as Richard Dawkins says, no good nor evil, nothing but pitiless indifference. Right. Uh, well, and it goes also back to what, was it the current president of PETA or a past one who mm-hmm. made the comment about a pig is a dog is a boy? I had, Have I you heard that? Uh-uh. Yeah. One of the, the president, past presidents of PETA, or maybe the current one, made that statement, mm-hmm. and they were equating the value of human children mm-hmm. to animals, that it's all the same. Wow. Yeah, Ingrid Newkirk. Okay. Uh, British-born animal rights activist, co-founder and current president of PETA. And the the full quote... Mm-hmm. Let me see. A rat is a pig, is a dog, is a boy. They're all animals. Mm. And I think that's a really good example of the impact of worldview. Yes, I would uh, agree. That's that's exactly the logical fallout of a worldview that is divorced from um, from God. I mean, I and I don't mean to sound like a you know a, a backwoods Bible thumper when I say that, but that's that's still true. Like I mean, when someone divorces themselves from and uh, perhaps spurns natural. And special revelation, that's just what's going to happen. Right. Uh, why would you draw a line between uh, a rat and a, and a baby? It's, it's wild. Um, one thing that we need to say to be on guard against is that normally when premise one is, is given, that if God does not exist, objective moral values and duties do not exist, a misunderstanding follows very rapidly, very right. quickly, and very often. And that is that how dare you say that atheists can't be good people. Um, but this is a misunderstanding of the argument. What premise one does not say is if one does not believe in God, there are no objective They values, can't have yeah. right, right, these things. But what it says is if God does not exist, 
And those are two completely different things. Belief in God and God are two different things. Right. And so uh, the argument is talking about the existence of God rather than belief in God. We believe, uh, I think Casey and I both believe, that there are uh, atheists that do good moral acts all the time. Yeah. Sometimes even outscore um, our brethren in moral deeds. Um, But that has no bearing on this argument. It is completely unrelated to this argument. Yeah. And so that finishes up premise one of the moral argument. And, uh, well, actually, it, it gets us to a point. There will still be some things that we have to deal with later on. Yeah. Uh, but I think that is the argument given, uh, that in the absence of God, um, there are no moral values and duties. And we'll, we're going to follow that up with some reasons um, next time. All right? So thanks for joining us on Apologetic Establishment. We'll see you next time.